Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. This is a um, so we're going to try to hold a regular episode every Tuesday to talk about Tesla stock, the economy, inflation. So we've invited uh, Xander and Christian. You've heard them before. They've joined us in this call before, but they both are quite knowledgeable. They have their own approach to investing. Um, the same caveats apply that none of us here are financial advisors. We are you should not make decisions on financial um, decisions based on what you hear from us. We're just a bunch of Tesla fans. We'd like to talk to each other and understand what each other's opinions are, their perspectives. And I think with the crash in the economy, are we definitely in a recession? Are we in stagflation? How do we get out of inflation? What does this mean to Tesla stock um, in the near term, in the short term, in the long term? And Privately, I've been talking to Xander and, and Christian, and the conversations we're hearing are just so valuable. So I thought uh, it's great that we get to share. So why don't we first start with high-level questions, and then we can just open it up and have it a free form. If anybody wants to join in, just raise your hand. Um, when we get to the free form area, we'll invite folks up. So high-level, Xander and Christian, um, you know, what's happening? This week, the stock, the, the economy just got a hit. Friday numbers came out. You can explain what, what was it that was just so spooky. Do you think that tomorrow when the Fed comes out, is it going to be a 50 basis point? Is it going to be a 75? Is it 100? What what did you learn recently since the last week? So who wants to start first? Christian? Yeah, I can go. So, yeah, great questions. Um, thanks for doing this, Herbert. Um, again, we, we've talked about this before. Macro is very difficult. The way I look at it, sometimes doing nothing is the best thing. Mm -hmm. Just kind of being patient, you know, being comfortable with the volatility, understanding that macro could go any which way. We could bottom this week. We could bottom a month from now. It, it, it could be a longer, longer grind. So as far as CPI, you were right. We had a, a huge inflation reading, more than what we were hoping. We're hoping inflation's rolling over, but it doesn't look like it is right now. So the market had a little bit of a freak out. Tesla stock, though, in particular, actually held up pretty good. It was up again today. You know, there's been some good news with um, possibly um, with uh, Indonesia deal. It looks like uh, from Elon's um, email that um, Giga Berlin is doing a thousand cars a week. And uh, he said, and his words, spooning up in Austin. And we know Shanghai is back on track, maybe on track to do 70,000 units uh, for June, which is great. And everyone knows Q2 is going to be a bad one um, because of the shutdown in, in Shanghai. And, and so we, we understand that. But it looks like the back half of the year could be good. So all in all, I'm very comfortable. Um, I think just from my perspective, I'm waiting to just watch the Fed meeting, see how the market reacts. I think they'll do 50. I think that's what they said they were going to do, even though a Wall Street Journal came out saying possibly 75. It kind of, you know. I think the, it would make the Fed look like they're panicking a little bit here. Like, stick to the game plan. You know, 50 is a nice move. You, you could signal that you might do 75 at another meeting, but they kind of said 50 was, was the, where they were going to go. I would just keeping, keep that in line and, and keep the market steady, and we'll see what happens. Uh, other than that, just kind of wait, be patient, 
um, and and see how it goes. Yeah. So are are we in a stagflation? I had to look that word up. <laughs> it's been decades since I had to look this up, and what it says is that we are high inflation, that there's an economic downturn, economic production is down, and that there's going to be layoffs. Econom employee numbers are going to go down. Employment numbers are going to go down. And then, you know, the last several days, we're starting to hear company after company announcing 8 to 10% reduction. Redfin um, and then Coinbase, of course, that's probably other factors there. But where where do you guys think we're at right now? I could take it real fast. So stagflation, yeah, just to give the audience an idea, it's basically stagnant growth, but high inflation. Right. That would would see counterintuitive. Right. Because if you had a low, low growth, you would think, OK, people aren't buying as much thing. Prices will come down. But that's why you don't want to be in stagflation. That's what happened in the 1970s. Because oil is so high and the input costs are so high, companies, as they're doing business and, and transporting goods around the country with higher oil prices, have to keep their product um, sales up. So they keep the prices up, even though there's less people that can afford them. That's why they call it stagflation. Prices don't come down because if they bring them down too much, the company's margins are going to compress too much and they're not going to make you know any money or, or very little money. So that's why stagflation is such a terrible term from the 1970s. And could we be in that? If this keeps dragging on the way it is and something doesn't change like the oil price, we could be. So I don't know. I hope, hope that makes some sense. That was a great explanation. Thank you, Xander. What do you think? I'm learning from you on this one. <laughs> but you, you, Xander, just a few days ago, you were sounding a little optimistic, which is, please explain. I don't think you are. So just please exactly what you're thinking is hap going to happen. Um, with like with Tesla, really, it's a wait and see. So, uh, Christian mentioned that that the Fed made a a, a plan and that they should stick to it. I didn't consider that. Uh, I, I was already buying into the seventy-five basis point hike, and that tomorrow is going to be doom. Um, it's going to tank some more. Uh, so. That was my outlook, but now I'm reconsidering that and, and thinking that if they do stick to the 50 basis point, then then we 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 do have some uh, wind in our in our sails. So uh, it's really going to come down to that. I, I do have some calls open uh, that I sold earlier uh, that I will be closing prior to the meeting. So just in case, I, I heard some people say that what the Fed should do is actually do 100 basis point, nip it in the bud. You know, people are going to freak out if it's 75 anyways and just get ahead of it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, here's where, so that, that, that I, I've heard that too. So here's the problem with just going so heavy front-ended. There's, it's just not as easy, oh, we'll go 100 basis points because we got high inflation and we're just going to kill it. Markets have expectations, number one. And number two, there's actually mechanics involved with the Fed funds rate. The way they manipulate, I, I won't get into it, but basically they manipulate money out of banks. And that's why the loan demand or the interest rate gets moved, the Fed funds rate. That's the short-term overnight lending rate. That's what they control. So if you move that too fast, you see what's happening to the 10-year, right? 
It's almost now three and a half percent. It's it, it's getting escape velocity. If that thing goes up too high, people selling bonds, thus resulting in a higher interest rate, you have another problem because the 10 year treasury is essentially the interest that the U.S. government pays for for um, the, the treasuries they issue. That's money that they borrow from countries, entities, individuals, anybody buying bonds or essentially U.S. notes, U.S. treasuries, long dated, short dated. And if that gets too high, the government will be paying huge amounts of interest when they issue these bonds and they keep borrowing, which they usually do on a monthly monthly basis. So they have to be careful not to get too crazy um, where they push rates so high and they panic so much and everybody's like, oh, my God, the Fed has no control of inflation. They just raised a full hundred basis points. They must be something that just, you know, out of nowhere came and, and the bond market could react real, really bad and bonds could sell off more and equities could sell off more just because it's a huge shocker. Right. It's just coming out of nowhere. It'll have the reverse intent of, oh, we're going to get on top of inflation. Everyone calm down. It could be, oh, my God, the Fed's been telling us they're going to do 50 and 50 again. They threw that out uh, two weeks ago and now they just told us 100 basis points. They've lost control. They don't know what they're doing. Good luck. You know, last time we were speaking, I brought up the fact that, uh, you know, there's an article by Fortune that said that there's two kinds of recession, the run of mill kind of recession and the end of the world kind of recession that we had in 2008 and 2018. But this time around, isn't it closer to the end of the world kind? Because, uh, you know, they don't have the tools anymore to just to just raise the rates. They, you know, that you, you got to control oil. And. I read in an article today that they think that oil will stay at 100 until the end of this year. Is that I mean, like if you if you don't tr deal with oil, how can you stop inflation? And then what are we all waiting for? The war to magically end, which it can happen, of course. But what are we waiting for? Well, what I would say is. Oil doesn't need to crash down for us to be. All it needs to do is steady out and maybe slowly drip down. Right now we're at 120. We've been higher in past. I don't know if you guys remember when we hit like 140, 150, you know, maybe a decade ago when it got really bad. No, I remember a month ago when it was at zero. It was a negative yeah, number. Exactly. So I don't know, Christian. But yeah, but if we drip down back to 100, we, we, it's not great, but we could handle that, right? That would be an input cost coming down. Um, but essentially, you know, we could also talk ourselves into recessions. You know, we're not, you know, you see the 30-year because the 30-year mortgage is based off of the 10-year treasury. I saw a report that 30-year mortgages six are near percent. six and a half, right? Yeah. So that's going to dent housing. So you're going to knock the, the housing price come down. So you're going to knock some inflation down there. We already know some inflation is coming down. Where the inflation isn't coming down is, you're right, oil, food, you know, travel, that will come down as the summer months go down, airline tickets, hotels, people, if they're being, that's the first thing to go, you know, vacation canceled. So what I think the Fed just did, needs to do is steady Eddie, don't freak out markets. And, you know, we could talk ourselves into the recession every day. Oh my God, it's the end of the world. It, no, we're, you know, we're, you know, I, I saw Robert Kiyosaki tweet the back, you know, he was a great author and he did rich dad, poor dad. And he did a tweet saying the best investment is tuna and baked beans. I'm like, what? He's what? like, you can't eat your gold, you can't eat your silver, but like, we're getting to the point now where 
you know, we're in like survival times. Like I just took a walk today. Like the world's still functioning. I see houses being built. I see people in stores. I went to, you know, I went to CV. Like stuff is still happening. But we as humans talk, talk us into the recession where everything, the sky is falling every day. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And that could be just as bad as the actual recession. Yeah, uh, Xander was saying that that's a lagging indicator, though. You know, and and then we watched Ro uh, Ross Gerber, and he was saying that um, everybody's been talking about recession, and they're they've talked themselves out of it. But I think it's still the the, the you know the second shoe is about to drop. With the, I, I think something that's even more important to, to the point is that like this recession, this whole economy is actually just a social construct. I mean, it, it, what part of it is actually real? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying as far as like you living your day-to-day -day life like it's it's all just kind of make-believe at the end of the day right Christian I mean that's like kind of what I can I can see you alluding to yeah like you make a great point um Ash you know we look at the digits on the screen we see the numbers we see the CPI it's, it's not like we've never seen this movie before. We, we've been here before. We've been through inflationary periods. You know, this one's a little bit more extreme. You know, we're coming off of COVID. So things are a little bit disjointed still. Supply chains are still working themselves out. So I think if we just take a deep breath and just say, look, the Fed's going to do something tomorrow. It's not going to be the end of the world. Equities still have value. These companies are still producing cash flow. They've come down in price a lot. You know, you want to buy things to own for the long term and you want to buy great companies, but everybody's just throwing equities out. They're throwing bonds. They're throwing gold's not even getting a bit. They're Bitcoin. Nothing. Nobody wants to own nothing but ExxonMobil. Now that will stop at some point and people will say, wait a minute. Why do I keep selling my Google? Why do I keep selling my Tesla? Why do I keep selling my Apple? I love these companies. I'm going to own these companies. They've come down in price. And once that little sentiment switch changes, and it could be a Fed pivot, it could be you know some big money moving in and, and, and bids the price up, and then people start following in, and then it just kind of goes from there. But that's how these things happen, and then that's the kind of way I think about it. Okay, let me ask Xander a question, and then we can have RK, one of the members, to ask a question. And then after that, let's open it up, all the speakers, just do a free form. Xander, can you explain um, what you were saying about your expectation for Tesla stock? Anything can happen, but you've also said that it might fall to 550, but at that point, there's a resistance there. Um, can you explain what you're thinking? Yeah, um, I mean, t Tesla is starting to do uh, not typical things like uh, if the nasdaq is down three percent typically you'd see tesla's down six um it's it's something's changed right uh, you're starting to get to a a, a pe or a ford pe that's uh starts becoming more and more attractive and if if the market does continue to sell off then tesla will get dragged down with it no matter whether it has a fantastic ford p or not um so uh technically speaking you'll have some change of direction at those big psychological levels like 650s and 600s and 550s um and if you look previously that that there was 
a, a, a big turnaround uh, from a technical perspective that uh, occurred there and it hovered at that price for a while. So uh, meaning that there's supply, that there are people that made decisions there and uh, that that'll continue uh, to, to happen. But then does it prevent Tesla from going below that? Uh, it does not. So uh, 420 is the next big psychological <laughs> target of every single bear out there. Don't say this. No. So, so but but the point is, you know, um, the, the, I'm I'm mentally prepared to see 550. I hope I don't see it. Um, today was a good, uh, you know, you hit 630. You did not get to 620, uh, which is good. Um, tomorrow, I'm 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 going to be on watch right before the meeting. What are they going to do? Are they, are they going to try to push it down to a new low? Um, you had the S&P officially uh, enter bear market territory and uh, and Tesla did not hit a new all time low. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, that it's the darling of uh, of Wall Street and, uh, you know, it'll continue, especially with, you know, all the things that everybody knows. We've got stock split coming up and that's going to be a. Uh, some kind of catalyst, um, and then the the numbers um, coming out. But uh, I'm really looking out for July uh, 28th, I believe is the date. There's uh, the the people who actually decide uh, and analyze the, the reports, the earnings reports, and say the, the whether the GDP is declining. Um, so that that's when I think we will know. Uh, right? Are we officially in a recession? And just that word will, will you know, there's going to be a lot of headlines. So uh, that that's really a, an area of, of concern uh, for me on the forward uh, and the temporary forward outlook. All right. <clears throat> RK, did you want to ask a question? Yeah, sure. Um, so my question is, um, and during this inflation, like a lot of uh, sector, they have a really high pricing going on. So couple of uh, friends, family members, they ordered Tesla during this time. And I saw that, like, you know, price got bumped up uh, compared to last couple of months or year. Uh, and also a lot of other sectors like oil or groceries or all other sectors, they, they are booming right now. Um, are we looking at anything in future, like short term or long term, that uh, the price is going under control? in any sector, like including, you know, the vehicles as well, like, you know, each, like, you know, EV sectors or regular vehicles or like, you know, and how that inflation, the whole purpose is trying to get under control, right? In order to uh, stabilize this economy. Um, so any, any thoughts on that? Go ahead, Christian. I always want to hear you first. Okay, I, I'll try to answer your question. I, I think I kind of know what, what you what you mean. So as far as Tesla, um, the reason they're rise, you know, um, the prices of the cars are going up, in my opinion, is because the demand is outstripping supply, right? So as a shareholder, I'm glad that they're raising prices because if you don't raise the price, you're not only do they have a backlog, the backlog would got worse. Plus, you're not maximizing the potential margins, right? Because if they just keep prices low, yes, that's great for the people buying it, but it, it, it's not a good uh, price discovery for the supply-demand curve, right? For the, the amount of demand 
to as many cars as they could output. So that's why you're seeing Tesla over the last six months to a year really raise prices. Um, as far as inflation goes, just in general, I'm hoping, again, hope's not a strategy, but over time, as they continue to rate rates, demand will come down, right? We see prices at some point, consumers will pull back, whether that be in buying houses, whether that be other discretionary um, spending. We do see some sectors coming down, but that one input cost, which is oil, which goes into everything, is staying elevated, which is keeping the headline inflation um, you know, high. But if you look at core, some of the other things, you do see them starting to come down slowly, albeit, but but coming down nonetheless. So that answers your question a little bit. But but that's why we're seeing prices, right? Because when you don't have enough, it, it's a simple supply demand. When you have, um, you can't make the stuff as fast as people want the stuff, right? We, we, we overinflated with, we talked about this before, a lot of stimulus, albeit money and, and just you know, money flowing in from the government rates were so low. So borrowing costs were very low at 1%. So essentially you could borrow money for almost nothing. And then when you, when, when that happens, you get these free for all moments where capitalism just runs amok and stock markets go through the roof and people start, you know, housing goes through the roof. And now we need this cool down period where, you know, a reality has to take back over and, the, and supply demand. And, and that's what we're in the process. It's very painful, but it's a process we have to go through. And hopefully we're, you know, more than 50 to 60% through it. Thank you. Thanks, RK. So, Xander, I saw today that the short, the Tesla short, the percentage of people that are short of Tesla is now just a 3%. And so they made money because the stock went down or some of them did, but they're afraid to obviously short it some more. Is there any way with your software and your view, is there a way for you to find out what percentage of people are on margin? And as the price goes down, people are forced to sell and the price will just kind of like accelerate going down. Is there any way for you to see that or no, that's blind to all of us? Um, I, I can't see who's on margin, uh, but there is a, if you in Webull, um, in, an, in the analysis tab, there is a chart that, whoa, did they change it? Um. Yeah, they changed it. There was this really nifty chart that showed where where the like what percentage of the shares that are held are in the money. Because um, because if you think about it, you can track where uh, shares are trading, um, you know, day to day. But um, I can't see it right now, so I I'm gonna say no. <laughs> cheap answer okay ab did you have a question asked ab ab uh -huh. so how are you doing guys hello uh, i just wish to i just wish to ask a few questions and even though i'm i'm not i'm not peculiar to, to the perspective of what you're talking about can you hear me clearly yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead, ask your question. Um, what I was thinking is that maybe, maybe the world is is trending towards a new direction because mm -hmm. the world now, now nowadays people don't believe in 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 
and making a kind of production rather than investing. So what do you think about this this phenomenon of investing rather than, than production, making a kind of production? Mm. How do you see it? Because I believe I'm from Nigeria, right from mm-hmm. from Kasuna. Now, what I'm thinking about is um, the issue of um, the issue of your your products are not being wide or exposed here in Nigeria. What's the reason behind that? Because me, I'm I'm absolutely interested in in your products, and the reason why the reason why is this is because you see most of our schools, most of our industries are are ask, are, are usually updating their that kind of vehicles and everything every year. So I believe that with this, with this of your products, things are going to change. But suddenly I, I just heard about this inflation and inflation stuff like that. So what are you thinking about? I don't know. <laughs> so you're saying that people are as just moving money around, investing, you know, uh, funny, funky, funny money movements rather than actual product sales and production and margins and so forth. I think there's, yeah. Go ahead, Christian. Oh, I was going to say, I could, I think I kind of understand what you're saying. Production and investing. So you're right. You can't invest if people aren't producing great products, right? So you're right. That that's the trick, right? So let's take something like Tesla. Why do we? Especially, you know, th- th- this group of people here love Tesla so much, right? Because they are making products that people love, right? And they're innovating on those products to make them even better. So they are mass producing a vehicle and they're making it not just like run of the mill, like the regular OEMs. They're innovating with, you know, um, gigapresses and from Hydra and they're doing all these fancy techniques with uh, structural battery packs, right? That I'm not an expert in, but I know the basics of, they're trying new things, which is becoming more efficient, which you would want to invest in these things, right? Because over time, they're going to get really good at it and efficient and the margins. And that's the game of investing, right? Finding companies that are innovating and great, having great products, which then will produce cash flows in the future that as an investor, a shareholder, you will be part of collecting those cash flows, whether that be just in stock appreciation or dividend. But you're 100%. The investing doesn't work without a genius like Elon Musk or another company like Apple, Steve Jobs, a visionary who comes up with the great product who could then mass produce the great product very efficiently. So you're 100%. Production trumps investing. Production leads investing. Investing is the byproduct of a great visionary producing love, uh, goods we love. Wonderful. Let's uh, open it up. So any of the speakers, just, you know, free for, free for all. Let's just have a conversation. In the meantime, if you're listening, please follow these speakers. Um, you can tell that they're very, very intelligent. We're very lucky that they're part of this call. Hey, guys, can you hear me well? Yeah. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey. How are you guys doing today? Good. Well, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Um, was listening in and... Um, so there was a point that was made that I'd like to double back on um, when we were talking just kind of like about how the, you know, and believe me, I, you know, the economy isn't my biggest thing, but, you know, we discussed how potentially what we're looking at is manufactured, right. Through our own societal lenses mm-hmm. um, where we obviously have structures in place and what, and, and would love to get, 
uh, Xander and Christian's feedback on this is that when we, we look at a lot of the changes that are happening and, and these things before like interest rates went up and the feds got involved, right? There were other things that were happening and we were having supply shortages and prices were slowly going up and we were having issues with shipping and so forth and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. All of these things add up. And so when we, so let's fast forward now to what we're looking at with the market. And when you have an average family that now, like I've seen my groceries go up in price just ridiculously within the last year. Um, everyday things I'm buying, I'm seeing the price differences them and like doing work on the house, just going to the Home Depot. I'm seeing those prices are far different than what they were a year ago. Right. And it's because it's costing these companies to buy these products and they're upcharging, you know, to make up the difference for, you know, to stay afloat, which is fair. But if I'm looking at taking care of a family and things are going up and things are getting tighter, what am I going to dip into? I'm going to dip into my stocks. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't like for us, like, I don't think that's necessarily a great idea because that's our long term planning, you know, for retirement. But I mean, do you think that's a factor in the market at all that people are pulling into their savings, basically, you know, into their portfolios and, you know, selling to kind of give a buffer from what's going on right now, just in the economy overall. I'm done speaking. Yeah, I'll chime in. So I think you're right, um, Diana. I think that could contribute to it because of tough times. And also, you know, another reason would be, you know, people are just scared, right? They go look at their 401ks and they see they're down 20, 30% and all their hard money is being evaporated. And maybe they're not that sophisticated investor, or maybe they are, and they're just they're just nervous because they don't they think it's going to go down more, and, and they and they liquidate. And we've seen a lot of that, right? We've probably seen a lot of panic selling. We see a lot of stocks, especially the small cap stocks that have been decimated, you know, 90 percent, and that's a lot of uh, retail holds that. So, it, it I think you're right. It's a combination of liquidation because maybe. They're a little bit too tight, and that's a bad position to put yourself in, right? When you have to sell investments at rock-bottom prices just so you can meet your daily needs, that's not a good position to be in. Um, So hopefully people will learn that you need more of a buffer. Like investing should be for you to be able to get through the tough times in markets. But I also think it's just a fear reaction and, you know, end-of-the-world scenarios, let me sell everything. and Or let me – I'm already down 50%. I don't want to be down 80. Let me sell here and the pain. So yes, it's very psychological, uh, but you make a good point. Yeah. Everything's up and, you know, people are maybe dipping into their safety nets, which is adding to more liquidity issues. That's a good point. Thank you. So Christian, I got a question for you. You mentioned this first time I hear you give a percentage of the getting through the inflation process and rebooting the economy, so to speak. You gave it a 55 to 60%. Um, what does the last uh, half of, of this process look like? Um, and what kind of indicators? Uh, we had a nice discussion about bonds and how, how that works. And um, per- perhaps you can educate us on uh, on what you know. Yeah, sure. So 
part of markets, you know, it, it's not in isolation, right? So we have lots of markets. We have the stock market. We have a bond market, which is a very big market. We have a foreign exchange market where it's currencies. We have, you know, the oil market, commodity markets, such as corn, wheat, et cetera. And all these kind of interplay. So we were talking about Tina, which was Tina for the last few years where interest rates were so low, it didn't really pay to buy bonds and earn 1%, right? Because like what kind of returns that for 10 years, 1% a year? So it's called Tina. There is no alternative. Stocks or equities was your play. And we saw a big run up. But now that we see bonds backing up, corporate bonds, which is private companies issuing debt, and then treasuries, which is government issuing debt, those rates have become now more attractive. So as they go up, now that could compete with maybe a stock because maybe I want to buy a bond at three and a half. That's guaranteed to get my three and a half. You know, even though it's not a great return, it's better than one a couple of years ago or even like a year and a half ago. So now you have a competing alternative. Um, so that's one aspect of it. But the turning point, I think, will be one of two things. Some type of stabilization, stabilization in inflation. Right. We get one report and we kind of saw that a little bit with uh, the CPE report, a couple, with the one the Fed looks at, the deflator report, which kind of came down a little bit. So we need to see inflation getting better. Um, that would be a driver. And or also we see that 10 year start to get a bid, meaning the price go, com, goes up and, and the interest rates come back down. So maybe three and a half becomes three again, which would steady the market. And you would see people buying bonds again. And that, that would make growth stocks more attractive because the interest rate on the bonds going down and it's just calming everything down. It's making equities look, look more attractive just from a mechanical point of view. So that's a good point. Um, but but the main two drivers is we need to get inflation under control um, at some point. And again, the Fed can't do anything much about oil, but it looks like Russia is, you know, this has been dragging on and they're not having a great time of it. And from what I'm reading, their troops are you know, in, in disarray. And, you know, they, Putin can't do this, you know, year after year after year. At some point, there's going to be some type of resolution. And when there is, you'll see the oil price, you know, probably come down a lot. You see Biden uh, go over. Now he's going to meet with the Saudis. Maybe Biden does some deal with the Saudis because we protect a lot of them oil fields from from different organizations trying to do mayhem. So if we can maybe sh strike a deal with the Saudis to get output some oil. So there's things we can do around the edges that take some of the pressure off. And I, I think that will, you know, that oil price coming down will definitely help ease inflation for the long term. And we haven't seen anything with, uh, with jobs, right? Jobs are, uh, uh, unemployment is very, very low. Um, how, how does that factor into looking for that, that turnaround? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. So from my perspective, we have record low unemployment, right? It's like three and a half percent, three point six percent. Now, we are hearing of some layoffs, especially in the tech space. We heard Coinbase. We heard Tesla talk about some things. So we are seeing some froth being cut out. But we're still getting, you know, two to three, three hundred plus thousand jobs every month unemployment's still coming down. It's hard to have a major recession when you have the job gains that we're having. Now, granted, that is mm -hmm. backwards looking and things could start to change the other way. But as of now, we still have a lot of people with a paycheck. And as long as they have a paycheck, 
a lot of people are going to spend it, right? There's a lot of middle-class people that are going to buy what they need. We are a consumer-driven economy. So until that really deteriorates, it's hard for me to get super negative on the economy. We do need to see that kind of uh, tail off. I think that might have um, explained a little bit of my question that I was going to ask. So we've heard a lot that institutional investors make up 85% of the investment money and and retail investors only 15%. And then earlier in this call, we talked about how there's this manufactured fear among the retail investor. Dan talked about there's actual wallet wallet book impacts. We're now starting to see our wallets being cut, but they're only 15%. So at what point do these institutional investors, the insurance companies, the banks, the investment firms, why do they decide to, you know, react on fear? But I think what you just answered was that they will do that if they think that the economy is going to crash and there's going to be a lot of unemployment and then people can't afford anything and they're going to try to get ahead of the game. But yeah, do you guys have an answer on that? I I can try. Um, I think why the big institutions have been bailing is directly the Fed. There's a saying, don't fight the Fed either direction. So right now we're Fed fighting the Fed as a headwind. So institutions look at it. They don't know where the Fed's going to end raising rates. They don't know where inflation is going to end up. And when you have all these uncertainties, especially big institutions, a lot of them will sell first and ask questions later. And, you know, when they get back in the market, when they feel that the Fed is on or there's some pivot happening, you will see a major rally. But until that happens, a lot of the big money will stay on the sidelines because, you know what, they don't need to they don't need to react like retail always wants to every day do something, do this, do this, buy this calls, output like a lot of institutions are just sitting back and they're waiting. And if prices come in, they come in. But, yeah, at some point, you know, they're getting hurt, too, because they have returns that they have to show their investors and. If it looks like, you know, month after month, their returns are are terrible, you know, at some point they're going to be like, hey, we got to start buying stocks and that will change. It will reverse. But we're not there yet because of the uncertainty is so great. It's keeping Mm -hmm. a lot of people scared and on the sidelines. Makes sense. Joshua, did you have a question? Uh, Yeah, I have a question about uh, Tesla. Mm -hmm. Can I ask ask a question? Um, Please. that's what we're yeah, here so, for. So, uh, so I'm just like when I think about it, I'm just a bit worried about sort of. I guess there's, I guess there's a lot of demand, pent up demand now. But I guess seeing out in let's say five years, mm-hmm. sort of what, how are they going to get to? Let's say Elon Musk, I think said 10 million cars per 20. year sold. 20. Right. Like 20 where's the 20? Mm-hmm. Where's the 20 coming from? So it's like, okay, if everyone is everyone buying a Model Y, is are they building like, let's say they have like five gigafactories or 10 gig, like where, like, I guess if you build it, they will come, but sort of not. Like, where is that coming from? The difference? I'm like trying to see them, I'm trying to think of it. I'm like, okay, now there's two years backlog. Okay, let's say two years backlog now. But where's the, okay, so we'll build it all. There'll be plenty of supply. And then where's that coming from? I guess the growth now, where, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, let me let me invite Brandon if she if he's listening to join the, the speaker. He can answer that. But let me try it. Let me do my little uh, attempt at that. So, do you agree that um, there is a massive transition to ice away from ice cars and into electric vehicles? Yes. 
Yeah. And so today, Tesla has sold 2% of all vehicles sold each year. Global sales. Global sales. 2%. Okay. So um, how fast do you think this transition is? Do you think it's going to be slow over the next five to 10 years? Is it going to take 20 years? Is it going to take 10 years? Um, So my, my point, I guess, is this, right? The demand for electric vehicles is skyrocketing. It's actually faster than we all expect. And specifically because gas prices have skyrocketed, everybody we know, even your hairdresser, they're all talking about buying an electric vehicle at this point. Okay, so now uh, every car that Tesla makes, every car that any manufacturer makes will be sold. And then it doesn't even matter if the OEMs, the original, you know, all of them, let's say Hyundai, GM, and Ford, they all get their act together and they start selling like crazy. It doesn't matter for Tesla. Tesla will still get minimum 20% of all sales. Now, in um, so if you calculate, you know, again, it just go that route. And so now what you're saying, yeah, okay, so how do they get to 20 million. So it's not a demand issue and that will not be an issue for them at all. There'll be way more than 20 million sales of cars each year by 2030. Um, and so the question is, can they produce enough? And and so by that point, even just these gigafactories, do you know how big these gigafactories are? They're massive. Um, once they get them going, even the existing ones that they have, they can output you know, uh, two to three million each factory, then they'll build more. Um, they've got so much cash on hand. That's not an issue. They're going to continue to right. create more gigafactories. Um, and so I I just don't think that that's going to be an issue for them. It's like, that's why you'll hear Elon talk about the, he'll release his uh, master plan part three, which is about extreme scale. He'll be sharing his plans for doing that. And then you might be following that they've already, they've they've been so far ahead of the game that they're already locking down batteries um, and minerals for you know years on end and so yeah. if any of the car companies they're going to be most you know not the least to be supply constrained yeah when i when i when i hear that when i listen to that i'm i'm thinking master plan is more about energy the, and not that, about cars that's exactly correct joshua that i was waiting for herbert and he brought it up that's that's the the ticket i was going to answer it very simply he who controls the batteries controls the entire market you're going to have uh, right the genies out of the bottle uh, with the EVs. If you've driven one, uh, even if you've ridden in, it's 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 a game changer. Uh, today I was listening about uh, some study that shows that uh, re- regen is beneficial because if if you're need to slam on your brakes, you have to you know there's time in between you lifting your foot off the gas to apply it to the brake. Well, in in anything that has regen, you lifting already starts the deceleration process. And and you know once once you jump over to an ice car after driving an EV for a year, it's 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 done. So, um, but realistically, it's this energy market that isn't being. Yeah. Uh, priced into yeah. uh, any models so yeah. uh, that's that's Ron has talked about that right the energy business will be bigger than the uh, yeah. auto business and never mind that now we're talking about that the bot will be bigger than so uh, you know it's a it's a aspirational number the 20 million um he's uh, stated that as well mm-hmm. but um but it it's 
doable, right? If if Toyota can sell 12, what is it, 12 million or 11 million vehicles or something like that a year, um, uh, Tesla is much nicer. And, uh, and then at those scales, once you get to those numbers, think about the economies of scale and their contracts and the supply contract, and they're able to uh, cut costs and they're so efficient, right? They're so capitally, uh, capital efficient that... Yeah. Uh, competition can't keep up, right? And yeah. so it's a uh, it, it, that's that's why we're so bullish. Yeah, because when I look at it, I, I think that okay, just look at the supercharger network. Okay, they're at least how many years ahead? Ten years ahead of everyone else. Like no one has no one has a network essentially, and also in terms of battery supply or manufacturing capability, they're at least I don't even know how many ten years ahead. If you just look yep. at GM or Ford or whatever mm -hmm. they're trying to make there it's converting the old factories to electric car factories like how's that going to work and you know uh, so yeah in terms of that i think just i think the market undervalues the i guess the efficiency and the like eliteness of tesla and in terms of their infrastructure and just their knowledge base i guess that's what i think like, they undervalue it i think I, you know mm -hmm. but in terms of in terms of like in terms of the like if you look at the lineup of cars i just think that it's like not everyone's gonna not everyone wants that style of car you know what i mean like there's there's that that limits it a, a, like a bit you know not everyone wants the water sure. the SUV. they want an f-150 that looks at f-150 they want they want uh you know you know what i mean they want different types of looking well, cars well think about it when they get to that place when and, and elon said this when they did the cyber truck if if the people want uh, the truck that looks like a regular truck we'll make that truck but for now we're we're gonna do this thing and uh you know we will see just how you know how many of those orders convert and if i could just jump in real fast great points by by herbert and xander and joshua that's a great question i would just say two more things scale what is elon talking about scale he's the only one right 4680 dramatically you know kathy wood you know i'm not a big fan of hers but she talks about uh rights law the every time you the accumulating doubling you you, you costs come down right so if the 4680 works and the battery packs drop tremendously, maybe we can get that $25,000, $30,000 car. That's point one, so you can get a lot of scale there. And then the other thing is autonomy. If Tesla over the next few years gets really, really good, you tell me who in the world out of 6 billion people isn't going to want a car that essentially drives itself, right? That is going to be a huge demand lever. So cost reduction you know, on, on the electric vehicle, making it at scale. No one can even manufacture it with demand going through the roof, going to 100% electric vehicles. And then the autonomy piece, Tesla way ahead of everyone else there. If you want a car, a senior citizen, you know, don't want to drive anymore, but they're able to get around. Maybe they monitor it a little bit, whatever you want to think about. But there are two huge drivers to get to this these massive numbers. You're scaring me, Christian. I've never heard you so optimistic. Is it really still you? <laughs> Uh, Tim, did you have a question yeah, to ask? Yeah, I, I, I just want to go back and touch touch base on on macro one more time. Sorry, everyone. No, oh, please. Oh no, I, um, I was going to do the same thing. So please, yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, just today the twenty year uh, and thirty year yields inverted. So yeah. that's a pretty strong yeah. sign that we're not done on the downside, uh, and the two year and ten year inverted. Um, I, last week, I believe. So those inversions are typically signs for for hedge funds and and uh, institutions that uh, watch their p's and q's. Uh, 
Can we get like an, a millennial friendly explanation of what that means? <laughs> okay. Um, well, the the each, the bonds uh, have a yield on them, and uh, as the uh, demand for you know as interest rates go up, the yield will go up on a specific bond, and each bond has different expiration dates. It's like buying uh, call options or something like that, where uh, you know, it has a different expiration date where you get paid out your your final investment, but you collect interest or coupons, they call it, uh, on a monthly basis. So you'll get, say it's at 4% for a two-year bond. Uh, every month you'll get 2%, and, it's a, and in the, the two years is split up into 24 months. You can collect a coupon every month on that bond so you'll get that interest paid back to you so Tim, let, the let, end, yeah, yeah let me step in here and just simplify because i feel like uh, we're losing folks um yeah, basically the inversion occurs when if you think about it if you're going to lend your money out um and buy a bond that's what you're doing you're lending your money you you get a 10-year bond and you get an interest rate and now the two-year bond right? You, you're getting the same interest rate or actually higher. What that means, like, what would you do? Would you lend out your money for 10 years to get that percentage rate or the two year where um, where you don't have to lock up your money for as long to to guarantee that rate? So uh, that's the, that's the inversion. And I think that was the what you were looking for. Well, and why is it a recession? Why is it a sign of recession? Um, so, so go ahead. Oh, Chris. oh I, I just want to there's a great this is a great question. I'm going to try to do it as simple as I can, but, but try to make sense with it. So think of what the Fed's doing. The Fed is raising what the Fed controls is short-term interest rates. They can't control long-term. So if we're going into a recession, the reason an inversion of the 10 and 2s, that's the most popular, where, where the 10 interest yield goes under the two-year, the why that's recessionary, because as the Fed raises the short-term rates, Shorter term yields like the two year gets pushed up, but people are scared of recession. So the long bond, the 10 year, because people panic and they want to go to safety, they buy the 10 year, which pushes yield down. That's why it, it, you get that inversion. You got the Fed pushing short term rates up and people panicking, buying the long end for safety bonds, the 10 year, and you're pushing yield down. And that's why you get that cross. I hope that makes sense. Not at all. And, and when I, it I does, I was following that. That, that, that yeah, actually helps a lot. Yeah, and when it does cross, uh, people start moving into the shorter-term bonds, uh, and it's it is an indicator, a strong indicator of the market is is not done going down yet. If, if there's a recession and I'm scared of it, why would I put my money in long-term bonds? And I want my cash available for me to spend just in case I need it. Uh, but if I get high interest rates, sure, that attracts me. I get that part. But I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to have cash on hand just in case. It's not appealing to, like, Tesla investors who are looking to grow their wealth. But for some, old, you know, older people or institutions, if they think the stock market, we're going to a major recession, the stock market's going to go down 50 percent. And they could avoid going 50 percent and they could go buy a 10-year treasury gotcha. for three and a half percent and be safe. It's better than losing 50 percent, gain three and a half. That's the theory. 
Hey Tim, I think you did a great job, by the way. <laughs> don't 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 take exaggerating hitting okay. you. I thought he was great when you were explaining. Thank you. Yeah. There's what one more thing on the uh, the growth to for Tesla going up, uh, you know, to 20 million cars or or something like that. I mean, there is uh, the limiting factor are, are batteries, and if they can scale their battery production up, uh, you know, put in a battery plant. Uh, in every new factory and end up with, you know, uh, half a trillion gigawatt of, or half a, ha half a trillion gigawatt hours of, of 4680 production, uh, that's going to save them quite a bit. And that's why they want to go to mining, because they need to exactly. accelerate mining, uh, either in partnerships with mines, which they're already doing, uh, helping them engineer uh, a more... Uh, ecological mining uh, process, um, keeping them green as they can. Uh, but my guess is, you know, they will eventually buy uh, some mines or partner directly. Indonesia. With yeah, that's why we saw the Indonesian government visit them a couple of times. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's they, be big they announcements. Can, they can literally build all of their, uh, you know, put in a uh, a huge battery plant there and a and a car manufacturing plant and ship to all of Asia. Bingo. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in in, in Tesla since 2016, so I study it a lot. Are you affected at all by the recession in the sense that um, I'm all in too, but this is scary, you know? No, no, I, I have enough shares that I am not worried. Uh, I, mean, I could go and I could get cut by half and yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't bother me. So, so I'm sorry yeah. for those that that are in that position, I understand the fear because uh, I've been in that position back in 2016 or 15 when my yeah. you know, portfolio went down in half then. Um, it's scary. I understand it. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a great uh, statistic that like, if, I believe it's a 50%, greater than 50% of the um, bond uh, comparisons uh, more than 50% of them invert and there's uh, it's been a hundred percent of the time uh that there's been a recession how long is are these recessions right so i've i've seen that they're typically like one to but maximum is two or two and a half years but right so what is that what we're thinking if this is officially a recession that we should be you know hunkering down for at least a year two years I, I mean, it's hard to know. Uh, and with the inversion, usually it doesn't invert. Like when the tens and twos inverted, it inverted for like a day. And then it did like, like usually it, it happens for a longer period of time. It's not like one day, the inversion, oh, recession. It's like, now that could be, it could just be chance. But but usually it, it lasts there a little bit longer. Now we are starting to, that, them yields are, spart are starting to close again. So it's telling us something. Um, like I said, we could be in the recession right now, right? We've already had a Q1 negative GDP. Now they, they choked it up to inventory excess or whatever. But if we have another Q2, that would be a technical re uh, recession, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. That's a, cl a classic definition of a recession. So then you would say, okay, well, if that's the case and we're already in recession, and what does the Fed say tomorrow on this? Do they still say the economy's strong? Or do they say, oh, we do see signs of a weakened economy, which would probably um, 
probably get them to stop hiking so crazy, right? Even though we have high inflation, if they think the economy is going to roll over. So there's competing interests here. And this is why it's very difficult this market. It's one of the toughest markets I've seen because of the duality of the high inflation. And yeah, Christian, you're confusing me again, because I had thought that the goal was to reduce the inflation and that they're actually going to cause a recession uh, that they are okay to do. But the key, the boogeyman is the inflation. But, but no, that's not. But but here's the here's the trouble. They can get rid of inflation tomorrow. They could just say, hey, what? the fund fund is 20%. What? But they would crush the economy. They're trying to do it. It's called a soft landing. They're trying to raise rates at a a periodic pace where they don't kill the demand of the economy. So if you raise rates too quick, you can get like Paul Volcker did. He said they they tried to get inflation. They couldn't do it. He took the Fed funds rate. Get ready for this because I don't think the room knows this. Maybe some do. 20%. He took the overnight rate, which is 1% right now. To twenty, do you want to go back to twenty? Was it because inflation was at like eighteen? Yeah, because inflation yes. was fifty. He took it over where so if, if inflation is eight percent now, we might need a Fed funds rate of ten percent, which yeah, means was, we're only one tenth of the way there. The right, exactly. So Herbert, you have to be careful because if they push too hard. You're going to get a major recession that you're worried about. Like they cannot if if they raise rates too aggressively, too fast, they're going to kill the economy more than it's already being killed. And then you're going to go into a major year long bear market recession and everything else. No, those things last longer. Those those can last up to three years uh, and it would take another three years after that to get back to where you were on the market. I've seen uh, these long-term graphs of the stock market over the entire hundred years, and I thought I saw that the recession is never more than two and a half years. Am I wrong? No, it can go longer. Like the most recent one is that 089 collapse. It took us a couple of years to get out of that because that one was deep. Now that was a banking crisis. I don't yeah. think we're on that level. Again, everyone has an opinion on this, but. I'm just giving you the mechanics of why the Fed, why this is like a balancing act. It's not just as easy as, you know, kill the inflation. You can you can kill the inflation, but you're trying not to kill the economy, because if you kill the economy, what what bad what thing? bad? Forget the stock market. What else bad happens? People lose jobs. People lose livelihoods. People lose their income, which which is a bad thing. So the Fed doesn't want to cause to kill the inflation you know, have mass unemployment where people just coming after a pandemic. Now they're out of a job again, and we got another problem. So, and and we're still the the government loses tax income. Yeah, yeah that's yes. I guess what you you the way you talk, it makes it sound like oh, there's these levers, and you can just kind of turn the dial here and turn the dial there. But in fact, they may not have any control at all. How do you control inflation if you don't control? oil prices and you don't have any control at oil prices and you don't have control of anything really well the government can step in there the government can can uh incentivize drilling and... yeah exactly we, we talked about this before like if, if biden came out tomorrow and i was meeting with the saudi if he made an announcement we're doing x to to increase supply 
Now, it might take six months to a year to actually do it, but the headline alone would, 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 would sink the oil price from 120 to like 105 overnight just by saying we are going to increase supply and however they want to do it, as long as it's credible. They can do that by jawboning, just like the Fed jawboned interest rates up by saying, we're going to hike. We're going to be aggressive every other day. A new Fed person. Oh, man, we're going to really get it up there. We're going to kill inflation. The bond market did the work for them. You saw the 10 year explode all the way to now to three and a half where the Fed's barely lifted off. We're only at one percent. So jawboning the oil markets by just threatening of increased supply if, if Saudi's bring on some or if we you know whatever it may be some macro event could cause the crude price to to crash because again that's that price is traded by a market to, to what extent is the war responsible for this um, i've seen people say this is simple we need to solve the war if you put all your effort to solve that war put it to an end all of this will go away is that true at all it would help because you would you would ease the the, the, the energy crisis because U.S. isn't buying from Russia. You would just ease the geopolitical tensions. So it would just be a thawing of all the, the nervousness in the market and all the nervousness around, you know, Russia not supplying to Europe, natural gas, things of that nature. But these are good questions. And, and these are these are very um, what, what's the word? You know, there's no exact answer to any of this stuff. It's just kind of thinking it through. But that's why macroeconomics is so hard, right? We all, we all can kind of figure out what we think, but ultimately what's going to happen, probably we have no idea. <laughs> Go ahead, Xander. I was just going to ask, uh, speaking of pushing the Fed around, uh, what's this talk about um, that the bond market is uh, challenging uh, the Fed's approach? Or um, Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So, so Xander, I'll, I'll try to take it. So by it's they're called like bond bond vigilantes by by the bond market selling off bonds. So it, for the room who doesn't know the bond increase, meaning it went from, say, one and a half to now it's three and a half. The pace of that move is extraordinary. That usually does not happen. Bonds usually move very slow. You don't get these massive 200 basis points in the 10 year treasury. These are like once in a lifetime moves in the bond market. And some people are suggesting the reason the bond market's doing that is because they're telling the Fed, you don't have inflation under control. We don't think you're credible and we need to push you to get more tough. We're going to put these bond prices higher until you get serious about it and actually go after it hard. Not this 50 and maybe, you know, we'll do 50 again and then maybe we'll say, no, you could do 50 and then you could say, look. If inflation is still elevated, we have the option to go 75 or 100. That's what they didn't like what Powell did before. When the, when the question was presented, will you go 75? He said out of hand, no, we're not even considering that. So essentially, he said, even if inflation is still rocketing, 75 basis of points is essentially off the table. And the market originally liked it, but then they thought about it and said, wait a minute, the Fed's not serious if they're not going to go higher if they need to. So it's almost a bond market pushing the Fed to say, get serious about this, because look where rates are going. You're losing control. You got the tenure at three and a half and you, the Fed funds rate is at one, 75 basis points to one. You're way behind the curve, you know, quicken the pace. Jeffrey, 
welcome. Do you like what you're hearing or are you just throwing up all over the place? <laughs> oh, no, I joined late. Um, I, I, I am enjoying what I'm hearing because uh, I think it makes <clears throat> a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I, I just think right now, I don't, I mean, the bond market is having, I think, maybe the worst year in its history. It's pretty bad. Um, so that's, I, that's the other thing that, like, that I think is really unsettling the markets is there really isn't a flight to safety. I, I guess, um, you know, the stock market, equity markets and bond markets were both down in Q1 and they may both be down here again in, you know, ending Q2. And that's pretty rare for both of them uh, to be, to end lower. Um, so I think that's an interesting you know, that's an interesting data point given everything that's going on. Um, so, but I, I missed the earlier part of the conversation, but uh, if there's ever a discussion around like inflation and, you know, methods to, to like pull it and get it under control and things we could be doing organically, I'd love to. Yeah, please. No, go ahead. We, we, we shared a bunch of ideas, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Can you control inflation? Well, I mean, there, I, I think what you can do is there's sentiment and then there's actual like the cost of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think you can control both. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily engineer, uh, you know, where we're at today, like we're, we're in a pretty bad spot. But there, I mean, there should be like, in, from my perspective, like as being like a former like operational, you know, VP and I'm CEO of my own company, like, I would have like, I would have a punch list. I would be up at the podium every day telling the American people like, all right, here's my policy plan on inflation. Like here's, you know, the wall street journal op-ed was kind of a joke of we're going to tax corporations more and so forth. I would like, I would literally be looking at like, I'd be looking at our tariff structure, like right away, you know, the head of treasury could alter tariffs in a day or in a week and, and maybe, you know, have a tariff holiday. That's, that's one idea. Yeah. Um, there's this Jones Act. Like we have, we have, a, we have an act. We have all this problem with shipping goods all around. We have an act that um, the Jones Act that prevents certain ships from certain uh, methods of travel to go to certain states, you know, like Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and so forth. I would suspend the Jones Act, and I would get the cheapest and most effective direct amount of you know of, of shipping and transformation. I mean, it's another idea, like right away. Um, the big thing, I mean, I think you touched on it a little bit, is our active participation in negotiating a peace settlement uh, in the war. Like, why isn't, I mean, I see Macron, I see um, I see the leader of Israel, the prime minister, where, like, where are we in that process of actively negotiating uh, a peace settlement? It seems like we've just literally taken a mode of, you know, you know, we're going to help fight a proxy war. Um, I, I don't see the end uh, in what kind of what we're doing. And you, I don't see like the means to an end. I know there's a pretty big speech, I guess, from Putin coming up in a couple of days, I think on the 17th. But I think that, that you say like, what's my like punch list? The top things are like policy-wise would be, you know, would be tariffs, would be regulations. Um, and it would, it would be, uh, you know, our active you know, leadership in negotiating selling the war. And then finally, I think Biden needs to go to like the West Texas Permian region in our country. And instead of negotiating with the Saudis and Venezuela, like how do we get 
um, how do we get more supply? Like what are the regulation changes that are needed so that our own kind of Permian can get restarted and get, and get meaningful supply out of the U S by the way, we want the supply out of the U S because what's the biggest problem with energy right now? Well, one is getting out of the ground. Two is transporting it. Or, and then three is refining, refining that oil in, into gas and so forth. And we have to set up capacity for with it, you know, get our capacity running at a rate for all of those three areas. Why buy it abroad and then spend all that money to get it shipped here versus making it here? So I think those are the key areas. I think you're 100% spot on. Like there are things we can do and I don't want to get political, but I believe the Biden administration is nowhere to be found on this issue. Except some silly sound bites that really, you know, there's no engagement. There's no strategy. You know, there's no talk of exactly what you're saying. You eloquent, you know, uh, eloquently said, you know, some great points. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. Jeffrey, what what do you expect to happen to stocks, um, to Tesla specifically, in the near term? Um, you know, I, I think okay. I have a I have a, a thing on predicting. I mean, when you say what's going to happen, what's your time horizon? Is it? I said near term. Can't you okay. interpret that too? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's let's I, say sorry. you know three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's really hard to do. Uh, and I think people that do that, I think, I think the, the approach of like what Gary does around, like, here are the catalysts, here are the, here are the positives, here are the negatives. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think that's like a rational thing to do. I just don't think you can accurately predict um, a near-term short-term stock prices because there's so many things going on. So um, I, I mean, I vote with like, I mean, I'm a huge Tesla shareholder and I, I'm not selling right now, but there, you know, there are, you know, definitely concerns. Um, let, let me ask this question. To what extent is macro versus Tesla catalyst? Is there any catalyst that Tesla could happen that's going to actually, you know, meaningfully change the stock trajectory or it's just macros like four times as big as any Tesla's catalyst could do? Well, what you would need is the answer is is macro is overshadowing a lot, but um, there are what you need is one of those macro things to, to pull through. For example, could could we get China on a U.S. vaccine, and would that be more effective in controlling the virus there? And would they change their mode of lockdown? Like if if China. If China COVID lockdown would somehow be resolved, I think that would be release a big amount of pressure in the market. Like that's a big, like that's literally applying pressure, downward pressure on the market. Think of all these valves and think of them applying downward pressure on the market. That's doing it. The war in Ukraine is doing it. Um, I mean, I would say that, I mean, that without getting political as well, I mean, I don't think we have an administration that's even uttered the word stock market equities and, I, and they do that on purpose, um, just given kind of their political stance where they want to appear like they're working for Main Street, not for Wall Street. Um, so your macro is going to overshadow in the near term. I think for Tesla, um, you know, this Q2 
print is 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 going to be tough. I mean, I don't know. I mean, are they going to kitchen sink it and put like every expense in, or are they going to kitchen sink it the other way and bring in this, you know, there's this prior, I guess, tax credit um, that could flow through that's gigantic, but you have this blue, you have this Bitcoin impairment. You may have already talked about these things, but there's, these but near, yeah. there's these near term things that are real detractors. Number one being the COVID lockdown in Shanghai. Um, but Good analysts, this is the problem with Tesla. It is a cult. It's a cult stock. And good analysts will look past this and say, I am, you know, equity price is about what I think is going to happen over the next 12 months, not what happened, you know, in arrears. So is, but it's not in Tesla's nature to necessarily guide with like bravado and and some, and, and, and to guide with uh, confidence and to guide with, you know, with specificity, they just kind of, they keep this general thing out of, you know, greater than 50% growth. So, and I know Elon tried to nudge that along in the April earnings call saying they'll, they'll be meaningfully past that, but then you have this COVID lockdown. So where is this going? I think there's going to be near term, you know, headwinds. I think the financial media is going to anything that's a miss in that print is going to get literally repasted a million times in headlines and you know the smart ones will will allow the three-day rule to pass allow if any selling is going to happen and they're going to look to the long term of what's happening over the next 12 months which should be gigantic growth now the only thing i'm tesla specific concerned about in terms of execution is the 4680 ramp yeah so that that is that would be a meaningful uh, and if they have another Cybertruck today, I think those two things would have a meaningful impact on forward guidance for Tesla. What's this talk about uh, 4680 that's coming out at a rate of like a million a uh, month, I think they said? Yeah, they need, they need uh, I think there's 826, someone correct me, or 829 per Model Y that are needed. So if you're only making like a million a month, it's like a thousand cars. So they need to get, they need to go up that S curve. I know Alex um, published some, uh, his, his thoughts on how that curve would, would, would occur. I mean, Tesla has not come out and said, they've said this is difficult. They said they're having challenges, but they haven't said like, well, we plan to be at this output at this point and we're really here. Um, and I think, I think if the smart analysts are going to ask for like, what's going on at forty six eighty? Like, what's the deal? Um, so I think that is the could be a near term issue. Relative though to the rest of the auto industry, they're going to be far and ahead away of, of, of them. It's just going to be, is this forty six eighty issue just a time shift out, or? do they have something on their hands that is like fundamentally like they can't build it? Like they can't yield it. Uh, uh, or, is, yeah, yeah. or is it just a time shift? Yeah. Didn't Elon say at the last earnings that 4680 production will be very, very slow and then it'll ramp up very quickly. So expect it to be slow. Yeah. So it would be great if they could say like, it's slow we're and we're on, we're on a slow plan. We're on yeah. our slow plan. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't think that Texas would be running, you know, this, 
you know, after being open for, you know, I, I expected a slow ramp up, but I don't know if I expected it to be this slow. Yeah, just to add, I, I think um, from what I'm guessing, you know, the 4680 was always said like it was going to take some time, but I think they are yielding. It's taking time, but I think where I did read that they are going to have a backup plan of 2170s. So they are going to put some 2170s at Texas to get Texas uh, rolling uh, heavier. Yeah, but that's a different. I, I heard that too. I, but I mean, that, to me, that's a different line. That's uh, so. Anyway, it's. I don't know what the time the timing is on that. Uh, and also, you can read a signal into that of like, okay, why is that being rushed in? What is what is that? What's the message there? Again, is this a time shift or is this going to be there permanently? Uh, I think others have better information on this than I do. It's just a con to me, it's an unanswered concern. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, more certainty around that would be great. Um, but you know, if there's another, I don't mind like that. If they need to like it, like if forty six eighties are going to take a while, and they want to make sure uh, testing it to make sure that we just saw what happened with the Maki, right? They were you know stopped producing it because. I don't know exactly what the thing is. Maybe they're just being really careful with 4680s to make sure that, because this is a new technology, right? That they got this right. So again, yeah. again I'm totally with you. It's it, it, it's a little disconcerting, but uh, you know, hopefully, uh, yeah, we do get some answers and, and things will ramp up. Right. What else you got, Herbert? <laughs> I got so much, Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I guess I need you to give me advice on uh, what to do. Uh, I'm a holder, so that's I'm actually not me, but I know that there's people out there that are worried. Um, Xander, one time he'll say that, oh my God, you know, the stock's going to go skyrocket. Then on the other side, he'll say that it's going to fall all the way to 550. So <laughs> well, I can scared. give you my two cents worth. I'll give you my okay. two cents. Patented answer. Not a financial you, advice, but not advice. financial advice. But we're sitting so here having very, a beer, so tell me. Yeah, questions. very simple, very general. <laughs> we know where Tesla was, right? Twelve something. We know where it is now, six something. We know how to do some math, some earnings estimates of twelve, say this year, and we could put a forward multiple somewhere in the fifties, right? For a company growing, say fifty percent, just being conservative. The, the so Ford know, PE, the Ford PE was fifty fifty five or something right. just a week ago. So that's the crazy. Price, price earnings of growth, however you want to do, is probably one, maybe even lower. Again, these things are estimates, so they move. But in general, if you love Tesla for the long term, you're getting it at much attractive valuation than you were a few months ago, right? When it was eleven hundred, twelve hundred. So if you were buying stock at a thousand or eleven hundred, twelve hundred. You should love to buy stock at 650, at 720, at 630, mm -hmm. at 610, at 580. It doesn't really matter, right, if you're going to hold it for the next five to 10 years. So this is a great time. You know, me and Xander were talking. I, I hear this all the time. Don't pick your number. Like, when it hits 550, I'm buying. That's the silliest, stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not saying this room does it, but mm -hmm. I see a lot of people, you know, once I get my number, fair value, you know, like, so if the stock is 570, you don't touch it, like, you're waiting for your 550 and then it hits 570 and then it runs away from you. So if you love Tesla for the long term and you have capital, this is a great area to deploy it. Could it go lower? Of course. But you're getting in at very attractive prices, uh, you know, valuation wise and just recent price history wise. So my two cents is get going. 
deploy some capital, buy some shares, dollar cost average in, and uh, you'll be great. RK, did you have another question? Yes. So regarding to the price, I would like to add on uh, certain things. So generally, you know, stock price that st stays above 21 moving average. Uh, right now, if you check Tesla, uh, it's uh, below 80 weeks average. So I think it's a bargain price. Um, and again, like, you know, as uh, you know uh, earlier mentioned, like every time it goes down, like uh, 650, 600, or whatever level you feel comfortable, you can add it more. Uh, another thing about the battery, um, ha ha I I'm not sure. Like you know, there is a company called Innovix. Um, they they make you know this uh, 3D cell technology battery, like a silicon anode uh, composition, and they have already rolled out a couple of uh, you know for small application, and they are planning. Uh, down the road, like for EV vehicles uh, within the next couple of years. And uh, they had uh, same place, uh, you know, they're a factory in Vermont location next to the Tesla. And uh, I just found out in news a couple of days back, I think yesterday, uh, they came up with a, you know, super fast charging, you know, EV battery mm -hmm. that can, you know, charge within like a couple of minutes, like like in in eighty percent range, so I feel like you know if they have something kind of you know um, this new innovative technology available to them, they can utilize you know you know towards you know Tesla or like you know I'm not sure, but if it's only battery is is an issue regarding to the production and other thing, I, I uh, down to the road like you know within next couple of years they 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 use the blade technology like a, similar to BYD. Um, so I think it's pretty interesting, um, mm -hmm. if anyone had looked up Innovix. No, but I think we've heard, uh, Elon talk about this a lot. There's always battery, uh, technology advancements and presentations. The critical thing is which one of those can actually do scale production. And hopefully it is and probably will one day, but I don't know. They have already started for smaller application, like, you know, variable yeah. device. Um, it's already started okay. and they are planning within like next couple of years, like, you know, within two to two to three years. And they 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 claim their technology is uh, most powerful in terms of energy density. So that's pretty interesting. I'm not sure, like, you know, in future Tesla will collaborate with them or not, yeah. or they, they can use their technology. But I have heard, like, you know, uh, when they do their presentation, they all always mention about, you know, what Tesla is doing and what, uh, you know, how the silicon uh, component can play a big role. And they they have been working on this technology for last 12 years. And uh, their board of members is TJ Rogers. I'm not sure anyone familiar with him or not, who is a really, you know, true uh person behind the Infest Energy and Sun Power and all other, you know, technology back in days. So it's pretty interesting. So. Okay. Thanks, RK. Well, I think we can uh, call it a day. Thank you, everybody. We are going to do this kind of um, talk about the economy and the stock every Tuesday. Uh, so please join in and follow the incredible speakers today, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for hosting, Herbert.
Thanks, Herbert. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.